Welcome to the NRL Supercoach All-Stars podcast. This will be the first one of the season and this is Barnsley, your host. I'm joined here by Billy the Beast, Marion. How are you going today, Billy? Beast. Not too bad, dude. Don't feel like a beast just yet, but we'll only just start. <laughs> Don't shortchange yourself, mate. All right, so for these... <laughs> So for these podcasts, for uh, everyone that's kind enough to tune in or wants to have a listen, we're actually going to be going through the whole array of guest guest panellists coming in and, and jumping on the pod with me. At the moment, we've got Billy, but there's a whole heap of other all-stars that we'll have jumping on in and uh, giving their two cents. So it should be pretty varied week to week, give a few different perspectives as well. Might even get the uh, odd pass super coach winner on here if we all uh, cross our fingers a little bit. So it should be good. But um, for today's pod... We're going to go through eight of the 16 teams for part one of our team previews. We'll be going through the ins and outs real briefly, and then me and Billy will be going through the relevant, I guess, Supercoach players for 2018, probably top five or six, and um, we'll see how we go. So normally with uh, talk on the footy field when you're coaching and stuff, all the good coaches say you need to give your, your best players some early ball to get their hands on it and everything, so... I'm going to do that with Billy, who's a mad Parramatta supporter, and uh, start off with the Parramatta Eels, Billy. How do you feel about that? About super coach or the season? Well, <laughs> pretty excited about the season, mate. <laughs> See how the boys go. I think they overachieved a little bit last year, but super coach boys, um, not as excited as last year. I mean, you know how, how excited I was about Gutho last year. I can't see as much um, potish players in their team this year, but there, there's a couple of options, so pretty excited to go through them. Yeah, you nailed Gutho last year. I um, have to tell everyone and give you a bit of a prop here, but uh, Billy was all over Gutho pre-season, did a great write-up on him, looked at some stats and stuff, and I basically barred Billy and said, no, nah, don't believe you. <laughs> and I looked pretty silly because uh, you absolutely nailed Gutho, mate. He was awesome last season. It was a real shame he went down with that injury. Yeah, the problem is I listened to you with your bloody... Uh Norman rap and seeing you get a couple of tons out early, I jumped. I jumped the gun and got the ten. So I kind of came crashing back to earth. Thanks for that. Uh, marking. <laughs> I'll still, I'll still stand by Corey Norman last year. I reckon he he got dudded because they changed his halves partner. So, but Norman, mate, I'm the one that got dudded. <laughs> so that's a good one to, uh, uh, I guess, segue into the ins and outs of the team since uh, Mitchell Moses destroyed Corey Norman for me last year. So we'll go quickly through the Eels' gains and losses that are going to be relevant at least. So a few decent gains. Kane Evans is probably um, a good one from the Roosters that came over. Mitchell Moses came over mid-season. And then we had Tony Williams returning. He was only one of the prodigal sons returning to the great Parramatta Eels with uh, the other one, your favourite Billy, uh, Jared Hayne, coming back because he's already done his dream in the NFL and got his cash from the Titans, and now he's ready for the Eels. So a few good ins. But the uh, the losses, I don't actually think you guys, outside of big semi-rad Radra, who I've been a massive fan of forever, I don't think you've really lost much. Isaac DeGoy's retired, but he's pretty much been on the way out for a while. Jeff Robertson, New South Wales Cup special, um, retired. And then uh, most else was pretty irrelevant, really. So why don't we start off by... Uh, Going through some of the best Eels players for 2018, maybe some of the most relevant ones. And I'm going to kick off by throwing over to you, Billy, my number one gun for the Eels for 2018. Absolutely love this bloke in 2017. 
Nathan Brown, tell me Nathan all about Brown. him. <laughs> yeah, you got it. <laughs> Mate, absolute beast. I think a lot of people jumped on him uh, last year at some point. He, uh, I think our profile on him is probably going to be exactly the same as every other podcast around. Everyone knows that he's sort of a point-per-minute beast. He just started uh, slow at the beginning of last year because he obviously came off the bench. So he's probably a little bit under still. So if you want someone that's consistent, then absolutely you've got to go with Brown. Um, probably price right. He's not priced at a gallon sort of price, but he's probably giving the same type of output. It just depends on what his minutes are in a rotation. Then you've, uh, you've probably you've probably got a much better idea for pattern rotation and how minutes work. But what do you reckon? He's probably looking at a, a 65 at least. Yeah, I think he is 65. I think you hit the nail on the head there with the the bench rotation. I think that's going to be key. And one of the really encouraging things in, well, last season actually happened, but this preseason, Will Smith, the the fresh prince, he's a uh, he's a favorite favorite of Brad Arthur's at the moment, and it seems like he's pretty much locked in that that utility bench role, which means there'll only be three forwards on that bench. So that seems to be really good for Brown if it comes off. Do you think that there might be Will Smith on the bench and three forwards, or how do you sort of see it lining up? Mate, I've never played footy before. Not the coach, so I've got absolutely no idea. But all I know is that, um, you know, stat-wise and just reading articles, I know there's a couple of articles floating around early in the season where Harbio is pretty keen to get him off the bench. And if Brown's the type of like that can play 80, then, you know, why the hell wouldn't you? Yeah, and that's the other good thing with Brown as well, I guess. I mean, there was times where he's played 80 minutes, and Arthur has hinted to that before. And I mean... The fact that Brown started off a bit slower last year and then got given the opportunity means he's going to be underpriced, which, you know, he's quite expensive really, but at Nathan Brown's output that second half of the season was absolutely outstanding. There's a few of the boys around the traps that we speak to, and I've, I've said to everyone, I think Nathan Brown, to me, is as close to the new Paul Gallon as what I, what I think that I've seen. So is he in your I team? See, I don't understand why. Oh, mate, he was... I don't want to say first pick, but he was one of the top one of the top five for sure. He was always in there. But I haven't seen him in. I've seen him in a, a fair few teams on the what do you call it the um the attic site. But um, if you go over to the NRL Talk Boys site, pretty much every one of those blokes have got him. I think a lot of yeah. our a lot of the guys that we sort of talked to have got him. So you probably don't want to talk about him too much. But everyone's <laughs> got him. But just pretty excited. To see, just pretty excited to see his output and seeing what the Eels can do with him in the middle. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just having a look at a few of his stats and stuff, uh, he's priced at 573000 which which isn't cheap by any means. But, I mean, that's priced at a that's priced well below some of the other guys. I mean, you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars difference between him and a Paul Gallen or even uh, um, Jake Trebojevic as well and some of those other guys. Um, the, the Rookie of the Year for Supercoach, Angus, from South there last year, he's well priced above what Nathan Brown is. So, you know, to me, looking at his last few years, he's basically been solid as at his PPM of one, which a PPM of one, if he manages to hit 80 minutes, he'll probably digress a little bit because of the 80 minute work rate. But you're probably looking at a guy that I think really he could average mid 70s. He's just that good. Yeah, hold on. I'm just about to tick one more box and I'll give you a stat. You are the stats man. You're um, much better at the stats than me, Billy, so I'm all ears for this one. <laughs> all right, so he's priced sorry, he's priced at the sixty five average. If you take his first three games of the year when he played forty six, fifty five and fifty six minutes out, take out round in the middle versus Canberra when he had a twelve of twenty one and the last game of the year when he only played forty nine 
minutes. That's an average of 72. So he's seven points under. And if you go and have a look at his clutch, probably isn't too much there because he's kind of a basic beast, wasn't he? So one try all year, one try assist. Offloads pretty much consistent throughout the year. Either one, two or three per game. Doesn't really have any games without any. Yeah, just the sort of guy that you just want to get in your team. 50, 55 base average is what it says over there. And that's with, that, with those shorter minute games. So you're probably looking at 60 just by having the damn guy in the park. Yeah, and that's, that's, just, that's just crazy, isn't it? So that sort of base. I mean, he's, his runs and his offloads were off the charts. And to get a guy that can do that and only have, I think, what you, did you say one try assist and one try last year? Or was that? He's a, he's no. Haven't had any beers yet, but uh, yeah, one try, one try assist is what the um, stat site says. So that's just crazy because you would imagine that law of averages suggests that he's going to be starting the whole year, he's going to be getting better minutes on average, and he's got to hit more than that as well. But even if he doesn't, I don't think you get a better safety net than having that 55 to 60 locked in. Dude, I just noticed something. This bloke's had one line break all year and one line break, two line break assists. <laughs> Could not get any bloody blur. Yeah, mate. It's it's to me. It's um a lot of people look. I think the the problem with round one teams is a lot of guys look at someone who's sort of that five hundred k plus mark and go, well, he's really expensive. You know, he's not going to do much better than that. I'll get him later on when he drops. For someone like Brown, I don't see him dropping much. He's actually got upside. He's got upside like a four or even three hundred fifty k guy does just because of his talent and where he's priced at and his work rate for mine. Um, I mean... Well, put it this way. If he keeps the minutes he did last year with that with that, um, with that point per minute, 72 average, base percentage of 81. Well, I can't remember. 81% of 72, that's what you're going to get in base. Absolute guarantee. So unless you want this podcast to go for three hours, mate, I reckon we just lock him in and move on to the next one. Stop yeah. pouring everyone to death with Brown. <laughs> I reckon that sounds good. Eels. It's uh, it's a bit hard for me because he is my super coach crush for next year, but I think we should probably move on. I start talking about quarter. That's more real life uh, for super coach. I think I'll take Brown instead. So we'll move on to uh, a bit of a tougher one, and I'm really interested on on your point of view because I'm completely jaded here. Kane Evans came across from the Sydney Roosters after I've probably watched the guy for about eight years as a Roosters fan. And I could not be more disappointed in a prospect for the last decade. Um, they put that much work into him. He just couldn't quite get it going. Silly errors, bad defensive reads. He just, he was very frustrating. I know that, I'm pretty sure that you did with me and a few other boys that we know, jumped on him last season and were bitterly disappointed with starting with him. Yeah. So coming in at 240k to start with this year, <laughs> I think he only averaged 37 minutes last year. Where do you see his role at the Eels going? Mate, he's got to beat Alvaro first. That boy's had some raps on him for a while. Timmy Manor's not that old, dude. So, I mean, who, who's our starting props? You've got uh, Timmy Manor, who's going to play to the 45. Alvaro, who was the other prop last year? I, I suppose to be an ill supporter. I should know this. Um, <laughs> well, Alvaro, you've got... Alvaro was, Alvaro was either starting or coming off the bench. So, I can't see him beating those, those two guys. You've got the um, Brown playing the immense in the middle. Mal playing sort of 80 on the left. I think Mauro was playing... No, just a rotating tackle type sort of role on the edge. So and I can't really see him getting more than 35 minutes. And even even though he's an insane point per minute, you've got to be in park, on the park for a fair while to you know, get, some, get some runs on the board. Well, what you just raised there as a question is quite interesting on who the props were because I think that might be actually the key for Kane Evans 
having some upside. So if I look at one of the uh, predicted teams of Fox Fox Sports today, and it's only just come out today with an update, they've got Alvaro winning the number eight jumper, Timmy Manor with the number 10 jumper. But interestingly enough, they've then got the Fresh Prince, which we spoke about on the bench with three forwards. But out of those three forwards, we got Kenny Edwards, Bo Scott, and the other being Kane Evans. So prop-wise, I, you know, Tim Manor cannot play big minutes. He's been on the way out for a few years. I know a few Eels supporters who would like him to probably retire. So, I mean, with that bench, it sounds does sound a bit interesting to me that he might actually pick up a few more minutes, but I guess it's about the rotation. So I think that the uh, trials will be a big part of that. Do you like him as a signing? Do you think that he's actually going to step up for the Eels? Uh, I don't know, mate. I really don't know. I think he might have a, a small burst kind of power game, but, uh, but you were the one that was telling me he's lazy and he just doesn't seem to put in. I mean, is he really going to be on a park for 40, 45 minutes, give it all? I mean... The Roosters had a decent had a decent had a decent pack, and he didn't really tend to make much of an impact there. Had a, had a few errors. Maybe, maybe the Eels boys around him might put in a bit more. I don't know. Be, I think I'll just sort of watch this guy from an Eels point of view and, and enjoy the scenery and hope hope he does something. But <laughs> from super coach wise, I'm not touching him unless sort of something 164k doesn't show up, and I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel just to just to feed my bench, mate. Yeah, that sounds that. Probably sounds where I'm about at I don't even, but I'm completely burned as a Roosters fan. I will just do a quick stats analysis on um, on a few things that look interesting for him, though, and then I think we'll move on. Minutes-wise, you raised a really good point, Billy. You know, can he actually do earn any extra minutes than what he has been doing before? The last four years, he's had 26 minutes a game, 34 minutes a game, 27 minutes a game, 23 minutes a game. Aside from 2016, the guy hasn't even hit 30 minutes a game. He's never actually even done it. So with guys like that, his PPM is anywhere between 0.91 to 1.41, which was his high. Generally, though, he's around that one PPM mark. But I always discount that a lot if you've got guys that are playing under 40 minutes because being on the park for 27 minutes is really easy to get a, a one-plus PPM going, especially in the forwards. But to be able to sustain that, it's it's pretty hard if that's if that's what you're pumping out sometimes. So uh, I kind of disregard that a little bit. But on the numbers, you know, 26 minutes in 2017 where he's averaged minutes, uh, 1.05 ppm. So I mean, if he were to get 45 minutes, you're looking at a guy that might be 20 points unders. So yeah, it has to be made there. That's for sure. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you there. Just. I think there's plenty more stuff around to look at first. He's one of those guys that you don't even look at to start with, try and fill your team with as much of the bottom price cheap as starting available, get the guns that you want, the underpriced guys in there, then look around and go, all right, so what have I got left to fill? He's, he's, he's in that filler category, mate. Yeah, I, I think I agree. The numbers do look appealing in a few ways. You can probably spin it so it looks like he's going to make money, but uh, he's also 240k, which is cheap, but it's also you know not 164k either. And in round one, it's yeah, an extra 60, well, an extra 80K almost is, is pretty hard to come by. So, yeah, I think I'll be the same as you. Yeah, I know, I know, I know what you're saying, but for, if you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel and you're struggling for a coin, find a way to get an extra 100K, mate. Just go TPJ. That bloke scores an average of 50 or 35 minutes. So if he can just do that, just he's worth yep. the extra stretch and just, just play a bloke like that, that off the bench rather than Evan starting, mate. 
Yeah, uh, there's. I think there's a few other options that we'll we'll get to shortly. And I mean, the Roosters pack as well. I think even as a Roosters fan, I'll admit we were actually quite thin last year. Our prop forward rotation wasn't great. We basically had Dylan Napa and JWH and nobody else. That was it. We had a great back row, but our prop rotation was sorely lacking. And Kane Evans ended up getting dropped halfway through the year. Lindsay Collins, with the worst mullet Australia has ever seen, got through and started playing instead of him. And we also had uh, a couple of other guys like Journeyman Tedavano, who played his ass off, but he shouldn't be taking minutes off you know, a young Kane Evans. So the fact that that happened and he lost that job makes me a little bit wary too, because I think Brad Arthur's a good coach and he's not really going to put up with too much. So I think me and you are in agreement on Kane Evans. We're probably both going to steer clear and we'll probably both be burnt for the second year this time by leaving him out. But, you know, that's the way it goes. Um, I think the only thing I disagree with there, mate, is Lindsay Collins is the second worst mullet Australia's ever seen. Have you seen those, that mugshot of Perso? <laughs> well, Mr. Perso will be coming on the pod uh, in the near future, so uh, I'll bring that up with him and see what he says. All right, so the next one that we're going to talk about after Kane Evans is going to be uh, who I've actually put down as someone who I think is an error. And by error, I mean it's a guy that's going to be pretty popular and a lot of people have in their teams. But I actually disagree with it a bit and he's not going to be in mine. And that is uh, your all-time favourite NFL convert. I had a dream, Jared Hayne. What do you think? I think, I don't know which teams you've been looking at, mate. I haven't seen him in anyone's. Apart from mine, <laughs> and maybe a couple of others. No, I've seen him in a couple of um, Eels supporters' um, sides. Not sure whether that's nostalgic or whether they think he'll do something. But I understand why no one's going for him because he doesn't exactly live the world on fire lately. But as far as I'm concerned, they look at his price, mate. He's priced at the forty-seven, doing absolutely bugger all last year. And even if even if he's out in the wing, centre, not fullback, at the very least, you're going to get what you pay for. I mean, Supercoach is all about trying to get more points than than what you actually pay for. But if you do that, you're halfway there to the top 1%. So a guy like Jared Hayne is kind of like taking a punt on a guy like Chambers or sort of last year with their run or, you know, Croker this year because his price at the 55, you know, mm-hmm. it's... You might get you might get what you get what you pay for. You might get more, but you're not going to get any less. I mean, unless the guy gets booted out, booted out of the side. But you've got that other option too, where you know, he, he's not he's not playing for the Titans anymore. He's playing you know, a much better side, in my opinion. The Eels. He's got um, Moses on the on the right side. He's got um, the, what's his name, the little fullback coming uh, sweeping sweep behind him. Devin French. He's, he's back home. With it. Yeah, he's back home at the Eels where, where he's comfortable. Now, in my opinion, absolute worst case, no, you're going to get what you pay for. And at this point in time, A, he's a pod. B, he's a filler. And um, C, what, I mean, Gutho's, Gutho's not there. What happens if um, Frenchie goes down? Who do you think is going to go to fullback? Well, I tell you what, if, if, it probably will be. But if Jared Hayne goes to fullback, I think he's going to be gassed in the first 15 minutes. <laughs> Brad Arthur's child oh, beat him in a run the other day. Come on. Yeah, well, all right. All right. Well, I'm glad that we've got a few disagreements happening because it's always boring when people disagree on uh, podcasts going through players. I actually am pretty down on Hayne, and it's not just because of all of his carry-on and the stuff with the Gold Coast Titans and everything else. Uh, partially because of his, his fitness. Yeah, that's got something to do with it. But the last couple of years, he's... He's gotten bigger. I don't think he can even play fullback anymore. I just don't think it's possible. 
think it's too hard for him? Uh, pro- probably not. You've got some really good points there. I think what, one of the supporting points for you is that you could probably just go the Warriors route. And, is it Peter Hicko, whoever it is, throw yeah. 100k less, same, save 100k, get it get a guy who might likely have the same type of output and put that 100k in upgrading and someone in your forwards. Who, and that's you know, exactly my thought. Yeah, exactly my thought, mate. I think that it's um it's one of those things where for 420k, anyone who I'm spending 400 plus on for my round one team, every dollar counts twice as much in round one as what it does later on in the season. 400 plus, I want to make sure that it's a guy that is a gun or going to be a gun, and I'm pretty confident in that. Or maybe I'll do one or two risks, but you can only take one or two risks, I reckon, in your team at that sort of price for round one before it really hurts you around the park. And for me, I would rather take a punt on a guy that's you know maybe 100K to 200K less and have that work out or not work out and put that money elsewhere than to invest it in Hain. And for some stats for you, everyone knows he was bad last year. I guess you can kind of write it off, but you know, 0.63 PPM. The year before, it was only five games, but 0.51 he was in his few games. I mean... It's he hasn't he he has this magical run from two thousand and nine that everyone remembers and he's a fantastic player and he's been a super coach god for me before but he hasn't actually been relevant for a few years and I just think in his thirties he's not really going to get that back. One thing that you did bring up though, which I'm going to jump on Billy because I reckon it's a great point, is the Eels team itself. Something I'll say positive for Hayden is he's going to be playing for his contract, so he's going to be wanting to get a long term deal after this, so he's going to be motivated. I think although the preseason doesn't really show that. I think he will be on the field. But a lot of people seem to think that um, if you get a guy in a bad team, he's not going to do that well. And if you put him in a good team with a lot of good players, he's going to do better. And, you know, for the most part, I agree. But I will give you a little bit of a counter that if you've got a lot of playmakers that like their hands on the ball, so at the moment we've got Corey Norman, we've got Moses, and we've also got, a few really good runners of the football that want the ball in their hands in Bevan French and Clint Gutherson when he returns. To me, that sort of says, well, and you've got Michael Jennings even as well that demands a little bit of ball. To me, it sort of says that it might be something like a James Roberts scenario where he was getting all the ball that he wanted when he was at the Gold Coast or whenever he wanted at least. And when he went into the Broncos, he kind of had to fit into a system where he had to share it around a little bit and pick and choose his moments. So I don't know. I could sort of see that either way. He's not in your team, Jared. No, I said, um, no, no, no. Hands in my team. I'm just saying that um, Robert's going to the Broncos. He still do it right. Um, yeah, I reckon Hayne could just spend time sitting out wide and wait, wait, wait for the lads to flick it to him and just, just stroll over once, you know, once or twice a game. Yeah, uh, look, I could definitely see me with egg on my face and and Hayne going over for a few really easy tries. And if he carves up that first few rounds, I'll be sure to remember you, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to go on to uh, the next thing in our Eels team, which uh, I want to talk about, and this is going to be a big balls pod. I'm going to call it a big balls pod, and for short, we're going to go for BPP, BBP, because that's all the rage doing the acronyms with the young kids, so our big balls pods for the Eels team. I've actually done a duo. I reckon... The big balls pod for um, the Eels is going to be grabbing either one of those halves. Corey Norman, you mentioned that I started off with last year. 
for round one and I was real happy initially and then things went a little bit bad. A lot of guys that we talked to are really big on Mitchell Moses because he's had a couple of magical runs, particularly the back half of last year, back half of the year before with the Tigers. Either one of those guys, I sort of see him as guys who could completely fall flat and give you real bad scores and put you on the back foot really early on. Or they could just start and have some blinders and people are going to wish that they had him in their team. But, geez, it would take some big balls to put either one of those guys in your side, I reckon. Well, I wouldn't say big ones. Um, um, Moses is one of the first guys who did a profile for a um, Sorry, it's kind of sad. December first, that's when I start super coach. <laughs> it was. Um, but if you look, at, if you go back and look at his numbers, what was it? Priced. Uh, so he's priced at the fifty-one average. His average at the Tigers was a forty-four. His average at the uh, Eels was fifty-six. His average at the Eels in the first six games was sort of thirty-eight. He only had two try assists and was probably finding his feet. You know, sort of at the um, early part, but. If you look at his average at the Eels after the first six games, it was actually 70. So 85, 27, 110, 110, 33, 110, 53 and 31. I was pretty excited when I first saw that. But if you go back and look at it again, and Catfish absolutely tore me apart when I put <laughs> this, uh, this stats to him, you should have a look at the opposition. And I think he was right. I mean, it was dogs, dogs, titans or something or other. So... The thing with Moses is that he just has this extremely low floor potential, but has that monstrous upside, and and who knows what what he's going to produce. But at the, at the same token, when I mean, you've got Hayne in the team, Norman fit in the team, Gutterson will be coming back. He will be kicking, I assume, so that might add some points there. But uh, yeah, you're right. It'd, it'd take a monstrous, a decent sized punt. You'd, you'd, you'd want to be pretty confident because the last thing you want to do is pay that price for someone to have them chuck out 20s and 30s before the 110s because you know as well as I do with the uh, pretty ordinary uh, need for buy playing this year, you need to get off to a monster start very quick. Otherwise, it's see you later. Yeah, it is, and I think it's pretty risky. You mentioned the 20s. I'll tell you what, I'll go you one better. His low scores the last three years, 10, 10, 12. High scores, 110, 110, 91. That's the last three years. So, yeah, he, he can really give you some bad so, ones. Yeah, I, I think his flow is probably, his low is probably a little bit higher at the Eels than at the Tigers. Tigers. I mean, yeah. let's be honest, it's the Tigers. <laughs> oh, actually, so, um, I'll tell you what, I'm pretty sure when he first came into the Eels, though, I'm pretty sure that he had a couple of games there where he missed about 12 tackles and did nothing, and he... Yeah, he had some real low ones. Having said that, I, I thought his defence kind of picked up a little bit at times towards the end of the year and stuff. He seemed a bit more confident. Yep, just repeat exactly what you said to me. In his first couple of games at the Eels, obviously when he was new team, uh, finding his feet, and then he picked it up towards the end of the year. Yep. So he's been with the team now. He's, he's clicked a little bit. So I, I stand by my point there. I don't think you're going to get sort of 10s or 15s out of him anymore. I mean, anything can happen. I mean, you go back with um, when Milford first went from... Um, the Raiders to the Broncos. The guy was an actual world beater. I, I chucked him in my team as a high price pod and dead set. That first game for the Broncos at 5 8, he touched the ball three times the entire game. Yep. Three freaking times. Didn't even touch the ball. Yep. It was an absolute disgrace. So I think, I think you'll see a bit more output from him. But yeah, as much as I love the Eels, mate, he's nowhere near my team. Yeah, well, that's some really good points, though, and some good food for thought for those that want him. He's priced at 454k. If he does get the kicking as well from Gutherson when Gutherson returns, and yeah, I mean, I could say worse. Um, for me, he's going to—he's probably not going to be in my team. 
it's not going to be because I think he's terrible. It's more because I think there's some other guys that are just going to be better in the halves than what him he's going to be as an option. But he will be a pod. I don't see him being in too many teams. He's, his other half I'll, I'll briefly touch on, but to be perfectly honest, we could have just not mentioned Mitchell Moses' name and uh, people will probably be thinking that we we're just talking about Corey Norman because he is very similar in that he can, you know, he started off last year with a couple of massive tons. And then, as you mentioned, when you got him in, you gave him, you put the mocker on him, and uh, he got like a 10 pointer and, or 15 points or something like that. I did something I don't normally do. I followed the sheep last year. (laughs) (laughs) I got on him. I I didn't want to miss out. You know, when the Eels had sort of that that buy run coverage and he had that massive negative BA, I thought I'd ride him all all the way through from that point. But uh, as someone said, mate, it's round three, round four. (laughs) There's plenty of fluctuation left in halves to talk for uh, round 12, 13. So don't think just for one minute because someone's got a, a minus sort of 60 or 70 B that you need that you need to get on the train. All you're doing there is you're evening the field with the people up above you. I mean, you may as well just stick with your gut and hope the blokes that you got end up turning it around because that's the only way you're going to catch up to the other sort of 10 percent of people that already earning, mate. You are you jump ship. All you're going to do is stay th- stay 60 70 points behind them. Spot on, Billy. Couldn't have said it better myself, mate. I think that's exactly right. And um, I mean, Corey Norman is someone though that oh, I'll admit. He is one of the super coach guys that when he's on, I really wish I've, I had him in my team when I don't have him because he'll have games where he'll have a heap of uh, heap of great try assists and he'll do some great kicking. He'll have uh, you know three or four forced dropouts in a game to throw some easy points in there and then he'll score a try or something and or make a line break and he'll just give you 115 and just look like absolute gold. So I can see why he's tempting and if he were to start like that, I'm going to... Probably say if you end up starting with Corey Norman in your team, you're probably hoping to get lucky. But if you do get lucky with Corey Norman in those first few rounds, you, you could be off to a bit of a flyer. Yeah, mate. Definitely a big balls punt either of those two. The only thing I've got to say there is if you if you got the balls to take any one of those two, you bloody well want to know what you're doing. But oh. good luck. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I like to think I know a little bit what I'm doing. Probably not as much as I'd like to, but... Uh, I won't be going near Corey Norman this year. I had my roller coaster ride last year, and um, yeah, that was a good ride at times, but that was enough. So let's move on from Corey. And with the eels, probably the only other thing I was going to mention is uh, potential cows. There was the uh, the young fellow on the wing that's a bit of a beast and making a few waves the last twelve months. Who I can't pronounce his name, Lisiano, I think it is. Bit of a I call mat- him out. I call him Alf. Alphabet. That's great. Let's call him out. Yeah, so he's a bit of a beast in the Matt Utah mould. He had some great stats. I think it was like 17 tries from 19 games in the lower grade and a bazillion tackle breaks. So he's made for super coach. But um, it looks like from the most recent team predictors that he's probably not going to get a spot. I mean, I can't really see any eels at the moment at rookie price or close enough to rookie price that are maybe going to come through. Is there anyone that you've sort of Kept your eye on you? You think might break in? No, mate. I don't watch the feeder teams as much as the uh, first grade squads. All I can say is uh, the kid would want to have a, a decent hit up rate. But uh, anyone, at, anyone at one hundred, I was going to say one hundred and twenty-two. Then <laughs> been playing. <laughs> anyone at one hundred and sixty-four, mate, you just get him in and chuck him on the bench. But yeah, it'd be a shame if he doesn't get named because I'm. Uh, <laughs> I think I need about four or five. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I think that we'll we'll probably move on from the Eels. There's a lot of good guys to talk about there. We spent a bit of time on them, but I think that they've got a couple of good options, but also ones that a lot of people are talking about. So good to talk about them. But I think we're going to move on to the Cowboys now. And I'll quickly go through a few of the key changes with the Cows. So, I mean, the gains, they got Martin mid-season from the Panthers, so he's not a real gain. I think Jordan McLean is a is a pretty big gain from the Storm, whether it's more for, for real life or for Supercoach remains to be seen. But they're the two main signings. The losses, Caelan Pong is going to be the big one. I know a lot of Newcastle fans are pretty happy and a lot of Cowboys fans are pretty disappointed that Caelan Pong has gone. Ray Thompson retired, who wasn't going to play any first grade anyway. And other than that, it's just really some lower grade guys and some depth. So haven't really changed too much. McLean's a big addition. But I'd almost put JT as a new addition because he was out for the majority of last year. So he's almost a new one there as well. But why don't we kick off with him? Because me and you spoke about JT a little bit today. And um, yeah, I, I think we see him a little bit differently, don't we? trying too hard. <laughs> <laughs> I was just looking for a reason to get a pod, mate. <laughs> so I reckon when I say pod, I mean anti-pod. I mean, sometimes the best pod in Supercoach is the one you actually don't have. And if you look at... um percent ownership I mean what is it? he was around 30 percent or something at a, at, a, at a minimum <laughs> the guy's good you know that generally around the sort of 70 average priced at a price to 67 with a 10 percent discount or something or other so taking these past stats into account and how bloody good the guy is you just get him in your team right I started having a look at his run and if you look at his first four four rounds for this year. What's he got? That was Sharks, Broncos, Storm, and uh, someone else. I can't remember who it was. So this is a classic case, case of going too hard. But I went back and had a look at his average versus all those game, those players in 2016, obviously because he didn't play too many games last year. And his average was 47. So a guy coming off injury back into 2018 competition at, what, 34 uh, with an average of 47 against uh, the, the, his, his opening run for the cop. Bit of a tough challenge there, but JT's JT, you know, anything can happen. But then if you go and have a look at his stats for round, for his opposition from round 5 to 12, the average jumps to 80. So that's one of those. Damned if you do, damned if you don't, JT's going to turn up. But, mate, at that price, and given the limited room in the halves and all the cheapies around there, I'm, I'm not going with him. I'm going to... I'm going to go with um, some gun halves and um, the obvious cheapy in, in Croker. Yep. Um, so, all really good points, Billy. I will actually say but. that JT... <laughs> JT was actually one of the first players I plugged into my team, to be completely honest. He was one of the first ones I threw in there. I was pretty set on having him, mainly because, you know, if you look at his his averages, he's... He averaged 67 last year, and that's the lowest, I believe, he's averaged for like you know, six years. year before, he had 70, and that was a down year for him in 2016 as well. And then he had 77, 82, and he's just basically been a mid-70s to close to 80 sort of beast up until the last sort of 18 months. So to get him at 67, I guess my thought process to counter yours was... I think the Cows are, are a top three team in 2018. Um, I think they're going to score some points. I think 
Guys like Morgan got a lot of confidence playing without JT. I think they're going to have some good attack. Their forward pack is going to be boosted massively, which always helps halfbacks. McLean coming in and Scott coming back from injury, those guys are going to help a lot. And all of a sudden they got guys like you know, Hess that are on the bench to come in and help those guys out in the middle. I, I just see the team being a lot better than what it has been before. And I think the JT's... The type of guy, he's so competitive, I just think that he's going to come back from injury with a bit of a point to prove as well. And I think he's actually going to be a bit refreshed. Yeah. I think he'll be a bit refreshed from it, to be honest. So I guess looking at um, you know something you mentioned when we were talking about Jared Hayne, when you're paying 536000 for Jonathan Thurston, priced on his worst average that he's had in recent memory, I don't think that you can get any worse than that. So if he goes into this initial run and he gives me 67 points a game, which is only going to be what he's priced at and he's not going to make any money. I'm not going to be too disappointed with that. I'm still getting good points for the money that I paid, but I think that he's got the upside there to actually go on a real good run or an, an average 70s again, really. So, yeah, I guess he's also a set and forget for me. So for me, it's a trade that I don't have to make later because I do believe in him. But it's an interesting run that you mentioned. He does have the Sharks, Broncos, Storm, and then Penrith, and two out of four of those are away. But then... He's got a bit of a golden run that comes up too, which... Yeah, that's the 80 average. <laughs> that's what's crazy. Uh, yeah, and look, you know as well as I do what happens. Those first few rounds, you know, everybody says, whether you're a rookie, whether you played a couple of years, whether you've won Supercoach before, everyone's in the same boat where you go, oh, look, these are the moves that I might make if guys play better or this happens or this guy's a bit of a dud. And then the first few rounds, everybody cops two or three injuries and two or three rookies get named. And it's a matter of, I wish I had seven more trades just to get all the rookies in and to get all my injuries out that I've just been stuffed around with. So it's it's one of those things where, yeah. To counter my argument and give you more clout than yours, I mean, just because it's it's a tough run, there's no reason not to get JT. I'm not trying to steer anyone away from him. JT cars up origin, mate, year after year after year. That's the best competition in the world. There's There's no reason why he won't dominate. You know, the opening four, the opening four games this year, but uh, the only question I do have for you is, do you think uh, with Morgan's sort of dominance in the last year and him taking the reins a bit more, do you think JT kind of shares with him a bit more? Does Morgan take more of a back seat? Because a lot of JT's points were with him pretty much taking the reins, wasn't it? Yeah, that's a really good point. And I, I don't actually think so. And I'll tell you why. Because I'm going to hurt a lot of Cowboys fans' feelings here, probably a lot of uh, Queensland fans' you know, feelings a little bit as well. But I don't think Morgan did well as a playmaker where he had to organise and be the general playmaker when JT went down. I don't think that that's what he's best at. I think he's more of a running player. I think he's better running off JT. I think he's better being able to run himself and create his own opportunities as opposed to being burdened with uh, you know, putting on a couple of nice face balls to put guys away or putting in kicks and stuff like that. So I actually think it'll help them both, um, but I expect JT to go back and be the organiser, the alpha half, and for Morgan to revert to more of a, a running attacking role, because I actually didn't think that he was that great last year, despite a few good runs and stuff. I thought that um, a few of his deficiencies kind of showed. But, you know, let's talk about that run, because I think that's a great point that you brought up, because it is a tale of, of two halves when you talk about the first four weeks and then after that for a little bit. Uh, after those first four games, plays the Warriors away. Playing them away in round five, you know, away's not great when you have to go to New Zealand, but... It's a long trip from Cairns as well, but in saying that, I, I expect the Warriors to be woeful 
this year. And I, them and the Titans, and the Titans have actually gotten a little bit better with a few of their signings. So the Warriors really, I'd be happy to have anyone playing the Warriors every time. It doesn't matter whether it's over there or here. But then they hit three home games in a row. So they have that big trip to Mount Smart. And then the next three games, they're back home in North Queensland against the Dogs, the Titans, and the Raiders. And the Raiders are a decent side, but they let in a lot of points. So that month long, I could see JT averaging 80-plus for that month there. I uh, totally agree. And I think from memory when I was looking at the stats yesterday, I think the other thing that scared me was that JT, um, when when he played it, in Auckland last year, I think he had a ton versus the Warriors. So don't don't quote me on it, but go and check it. But I'm pretty sure he just dominated. Um, he did. I, re- I remember. I remember because I believe I captained him that week, and it was um, a, a great a great result from the week before when I think I might have captained Corey Norman for a thirty or something. <laughs> yep. So yeah, for me, I, I think JT is a great shout to put in your side. I just don't see too much risk with it. I think the floor is very good still. If you get what you pay for, it's great. He's not a guy who's going to throw out there and average 50 points or 55 points or even 60 points. You know, I think you're going to get mid-60s is kind of going to be your floor with him. So I'm all over him. I understand your points, though, Billy, and they are good ones. If he goes through that first particularly three games that are really tough and he's averaging, you know, 50 points for those first three, a lot of guys that don't have him, I think, will be licking their lips going, this is going to be great. I can't wait to trade this guy in, in a couple of weeks when he loses a heap of coin. All right, so moral of the story is you're getting him. I'm not. <laughs> for 40 minutes now. We've got two through teams. We better uh, move on before people tune out, mate. <laughs> As always, Billy, got all the great points. So, at least my all is over. All right, so Cowboys, the gun that I want to talk about is... Lolo, so big Toma Lolo, he's finding his way into some teams. He is priced huge after a career season, super coach wise. He has never been more expensive. And I actually am surprised at some of the teams I've seen him in, some, um, some season super coaches. I've seen put him in their side, and I've been very surprised at 668,000. What's your take on Jason Toma Lolo this year? I'm not going to talk about him apart from saying everyone just go read Catfish's uh, diary. He did an awesome piece on me on that Supercoach talk site the other day, pretty much talking about um, his inflated minutes due to a number of concussions and injuries and reshuffles in that team. So, A, there's absolutely no way in hell he's going to play the same number of minutes with that new forward pack. If anything, he'll go back to his uh, high-impact, shorter shorter burst uh, Game game strategy and when they're paying a guy ten million ten million yeah ten million bucks ten I was gonna say ten million bucks a year ten million bucks for ten years they want longevity out of that like they're not gonna crucify him with you know, 70, 70 minute spells every week I reckon he plays that uh, hard running impact role maybe extra couple of offloads who knows but I <laughs> yeah I wouldn't be paying that coin for him mate he's a sit and wait for me I'm not even sure why I'd much rather a uh, in my back row, I'd much rather Gal, Crichton, you know, an 80-minute Mannering, Brown. There's four guys who have got over the top of him already. Mate, the way price and points are going, unless he starts absolutely boosting it, I'm not, I'm not even going to bother, bother, bother with him at all. Oh, Billy, look, I we disagreed a little bit before, but I couldn't agree more with you on um, on Jason Tomalolo. Everything you said, I'm 100% with as well. And he's at his scores, 
I mean, he had a 75 average in 2017, 65 average in 2016, and then a 51, a 52 before that. And the guy that Jason Tomalolo was a couple of years ago was a disappointing low to mid-50s plotter who needed the extra minutes really badly to be able to be relevant. I mean, I think we saw it a couple of times last season where the coach actually tried to rest him a little bit and change the rotations around. Um, Cohen Hess was coming into his own a fair bit and needed some extra minutes and stuff, and all that was happening. And um, in those games, yeah, and in those games, I tell you, he was very frustrating. There were some games where a lot of good coaches captained him, and he threw out a 55 or a 58 points, even a 62 or something isn't that great. And it just it just wasn't enough for his price. And I can see that happening again, actually. I think that... um. Now that JT's back as well, and because I think that they will go well, uh, I don't think that they're going to run him into the ground. There were times when he came back on to the park a little bit earlier than what he normally would have in the rotations just because they needed a guy out there without JT. They needed a weapon. I just don't see that happening this year. So I'm completely with you. I reckon that there's 10 guys in the back row that I would have ahead of him, and I don't even know if I own Jason Tamalolo this whole season just because I think there's that many good... Um, back rowers to put in so I'd be very careful if any super coaches especially the newer guys are jumping in and grabbing him as the best forward available because I think you'll be I think you'll be pretty disappointed this year put it that way oh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be standing in front of you mate I wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> disappointing forward I mean the, the, the bloke like that tree trunks running at you know, smiling with those gold teeth I'd, I'd just turn around and go mate it's all yours but super coach wise no <laughs> Look, if he if he was our next guest on the pod, mate, I'd be telling him he was the first picked in my team, and I, I've got him penciled in for a ten million dollar ten year deal. But uh, <laughs> since he's not, but he's, he's no winning. I, I hear he's a lovely bloke, just like Kenny Edwards. <laughs> All right, now we'll uh, we'll bounce off that eels humour onto the next one on the cows list, and that for me is going to be the uh, big balls pod that I'm going to identify. And he's not someone that I think that I'm going to go with, although he spent maybe one to two days in my team. And that is Antonio Winterstein. A uh, bit of a left field one, but that's what a BBP is meant to be. No one is going to pick this guy, and he is priced exceptionally low. So I don't know how much you've dived into um, some of these guys that really aren't too favoured by anybody or spoken about, but um, I'll give you a quick rundown on... Uh, Winterstein, and then you can let me know what you think. So he had a really injury-interrupted year. Um, 15 games played, but he was hurt for three or four of those games as well, plus the niggles that he was carrying, aside from the early exits and the showers that he got at halftime. Averaged 30 points last year. Averages before that, not that they were fantastic, but 46, 43, and 55 the three years before. So 30 points last year and the three years prior uh, around about an 18 point better average so priced at 269,000 that is exactly one of the guys that when I mentioned with Jared Hayne priced at 420k I'd probably rather take a punt on because at 30 points average priced at I could see him definitely hitting you know a 55 point average to start the year if they get off to a fire JT is back which is going to give him some great ball. Um, I think their attack's going to be a lot better. I can see him scoring more points. So he's a bit of a left field one. That's why he's a big balls pod. Not many people are going to go for him. And if you do, I agree, it's a bit of a risk because he's not 
a super coach weapon by any means, but at 30 points per game, Billy, do you see him as maybe somebody at his price that might be a bit of a sneaky ad for round one? No, I hate the prick. <laughs> so what do you reckon? He cost me. Nah, just a case of old bad blood, mate. I'm pretty sure it was him. It was either Cooper or him, but remember that last uh, NRL Supercoach finals thing competition that we had? I think it was about two years ago. Oh, yes. And JT passed a short ball left to a bloke in the GF who spilt it over the line. I do recall now. Yeah, well, if he caught that, I would have won the freaking thing. So, bad <laughs> blood. I ended up having a six overall because of that. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm shit after in the regular season, but I managed to do half this in a super coach finals once, and I'm pretty sure he's the bloke that cost me. So, no. Yep. <laughs> well, no. let's separate our uh, our bad feelings in real life to our fantasy feelings and uh, just hypothetically looking at this. 30 points, I reckon that he can average 45, which is going to be a 50% increase on what he was doing. So I'm... I'm not fantasizing about him either, but yeah, no, I know. <laughs> um, he's got, no, look, he's got some value there. He's right down the bottom of the chain um, price-wise. You can make a big case for Cooper as well. I made the same type of case for Cooper last year to a couple of blokes and I ended up sort of jumping off at the last minute for someone else and while the other blokes ended up sticking with Cooper and held him a bit too long and I'm not sure if he's still talking to me, but... I know, um, I know exactly who you're talking about there. <laughs> Sorry, Benny. <laughs> yeah, probably make a similar type case for for Cooper and um and the Winterstein again this year, but it just depends how you know how fit JT is and whether he's got that short ball left going. Yep, no, I agree. Um, and Cooper's a really good one as well, who's a rocks or diamonds type. I think at Cooper's age, though, that really turns me off, and the fact that I dropped him the day before kickoff as well last year because of your advice and ended up being a great move not to have him. So, Winterstein, 269800 price. I am going to say maybe. I'm going to think about him myself. But it's in supporting your case, Billy. The bad thing is, I guess, they do have Sharks, Broncos, Storm to kick off. If they had a more favourable draw, I would be all over him. But that draw probably means that I'll have to pause and probably not put him in round one. So let's move on. If you're buying if you're buying J two though and you're banking on him to score, would you maybe have a little investment as him? I mean it's not really hedging your bets, but if J T gets a couple of hit balls away, surely he's um oh, has has had more chance of reaping the benefits, even if you chuck him on the bench as an NPR. Yeah, that's true, and it's a really good point that a lot of rookie coaches will fall into if they're paying the trap of if they're paying guys money like 270k that they need to play them and I would probably rather pay, play a rookie in those first three rounds and have Winterstein on the bench than play Winterstein just knowing that he's a 30 average price and then I'm going to make some money out of him so that would probably be my strategy with him I wouldn't be playing him until round four I don't think and I'd just rotate some rookies in that centre wing spot that he'll vacate just to make some coin on the side but, yeah, I, I think that the ones that I'm looking for with Winterstein as far as the big games are the ones where he scores a double, which we'll have a few of this year, but I can see him not having those to start off with. So, yeah, an interesting one, definitely a big balls one. <laughs> but uh, one that I want to raise with you, Billy, for maybe the final one that we'll really talk about specifically is um, probably the error picks that I'm seeing here and there with the Cowboys team. And I've, I've put two guys down for this again. I don't think that either of them being picked a lot, but Scott has been talked about a lot because Matt Scott is quite cheap 
I mean, he was out last year and now he's back and obviously the starting prop. And the other one was Cohen Hesp just because he got a bit of a cult following as um, the second coming of Ivan Drago. And he was an absolute beast at times and really demanded some more minutes. I'm not interested at all in either of these guys. I see them both as, as huge traps for people that are looking at them. How do you feel about those two? Oh, honestly, mate, I haven't thought about them. Um, I know why. I, Hess, I haven't even thought about. The guy starting off the bench that scored a number of tries last year, why would you go anywhere near him unless you're starting you get sort of reevaluate? Yep. And secondly, yep. um, yeah, I looked at Matt Scott a little bit, but he's never really sort of been relevant. Cowboys forwards don't really sort of get more than 50 minutes at the most, so he's going to give you, what, 45, 50 points at most. Uh, I'd kind of put him in that... Um, that mid-range, mid-range basket where I'd rather you know, buy, you know, go, go back to the example I gave you before, get earlier uh, one gun one gun forward if possible. It's bloody hard this year, but throw in you know, the likes of a TPJ for you know 35-minute cameo and 50 points, who's, who's probably a little bit sort of cheaper than Scott. And um, yeah, just stack the bench with Lodge and whoever else shows up. Yep. No, that's completely fair. Completely agree. Um, I think one of the things with um, Matt Scott is he's he's got a PPM of one one to one point one six pretty much forever, and on face value that looks okay. And then guys think, well, you know, if he can get fifty something minutes at his price of three hundred forty four, which is you know on a forty nine average minutes per game last year, then maybe he might be okay, but. He's, uh, I wouldn't be going near him. 344k is cheap. He's cheap for a reason. He's probably priced at around where I think he's going to be. So, yeah, he's he's coming into some squads. I can see the questions being asked, but the, him and Hess especially, I, I do not understand why uh, I'm seeing a lot of rookie coaches um, toying with Hess just because they like him. Don't worry about guys that you like in real life. It's got nothing to do with super coach guys. Just leave him out of your team. Neither of these guys are, are going to be worth looking at. Yeah, I, I don't want Scott, but I disagree with, agree with that a little. I mean, if you want a guy that's sort of cheap and it's a filler, then possibly going to give you sort of 50 points, sort of a little bit undervalued. There's no reason not to get Scott. I mean, there's plenty of very clever coaches getting him. Just, I'm just saying he's not for me. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't, wouldn't begrudge anyone having, having a crack at him. He's certain, certainly an option. I just think, personally, there's a few better options out there. I just don't know what they are yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a fair call on Scott. I'm not going to reserve any judgment on uh, Cohen Hess, though. Nobody should be looking at that guy. So let's have a look at the, um, just real quickly. I don't, I don't actually see any good rookies to talk about with these guys, so I want to move on real quickly over mm-hmm. to the Panthers. Um, and I think we've got a couple of teams left, and then we're going to have to roll over to part two. So Panthers are going to be um, pretty different. In 2018, they've gained James Maloney as a big one. The other gains aren't really too huge. They're probably not even going to crack first grade. But losses, uh, mostly um, a lot of second graders, um, Tim Murray Martin, uh, Peter Hiku, Liani Latu, those were the, the main guys that they lost that were real first graders day in, day out, aside from their big gun, Matt Moylan, who, who went mid-season. And now we've heard, heard the news over the last week that Bryce Cartwright's gone. Tyrone Peachy's still there. Gus said on Triple M a couple of days ago that he's going nowhere. Um, and I see on every rumor page in the last 24 hours that you know people are speculating you'll get released this year anyway, and you'll you'll end up over on the Gold Coast at some point this season. So 
seems to be a lot of people leaving uh, the Panthers, but not too many coming over. So pretty big changes. Let's kick off the Panthers, Billy, with who are, who is one of my top three or four super coach favourites of all time. Um, a guy who I've put down as an underpriced gun, who I absolutely love, Trent Merrin. So I'm going to hand over to you for a little while because I know I'm very aware of my Trent Merrin love and I know that it's quite biased and over the top. So I'm going to let you kind of counter, yeah. counterbalance that a little bit and just go to town on Trent Merrin and tell me why he's a bad option. The only reason why I think he's a bad option or was a bad option is because his minutes are so bloody uncertain. If you go back and have a look at the um, the minutes for last year, it's all over the place. Like the guy plays big minutes and small minutes and medium minutes. But if you filter all your scores out over 65 minutes, or, or is it just 60 minutes? I can't remember. I was doing it last night. I was an absolute freak. He scores 72. But I suppose with Cardi out of the equation, the, the only advice I could kind of give is you know, the obvious one. You know, go and have a look at the um, the trial games and make an, evalu- an evaluation based on the last one. If he's playing sort of 60, 60, 65 minutes in the, the la- in the last game, then it's probably, probably worth a punt. I'm kind of hoping he doesn't because I don't want anyone to get a cheap leg up when I'm set on you know, a few other type blokes in the back row. It seems like everyone's available in the back row, not the front row, no duels. So I don't want anyone to get a free leg up with Merrin. But I'll tell you what, if he, if he gets to 60 or 65 minutes, he's definitely worth a punt, but not in my team at the moment. Yeah, all really valid points. And your minutes one is the one that kind of worries me as a guy that loves Trent Merrin. Put him in there as, wouldn't say my first pick, but, you know, Probably the, the fourth or fifth pick guy that I put in my side initially was Trent Merrin, and he stayed there ever since. But the minutes does worry me a little bit. So last year, Trent Merrin averaged 55 minutes a game. That was down significantly from 2016 when he averaged 67 minutes a game. His PPM has remained pretty consistent, though, uh, basically 1 to 1.13 the last three years. But the minutes, a bit of a concern. I don't think he can get to that 65 minutes. I think that that's... My sort of dream scenario. Yeah, I mean, look. To be fair, he he did do sixty-seven minutes a game in two thousand and sixteen. So, you know, sixty-seven minutes in twenty sixteen, he pumped out a seventy-four average, and he had such a great season. I just fell in love all over again with the great man Trent Merrin. But yeah, just I'm just going to read something out to you. This is this yep. is what I don't like about Buddy Merrin. Started the year with 44 minutes and 51, 67. So go to average minutes. Average, sorry, average minutes was 44. Then by round five, his average minutes were 58. Yep. Then halfway through the season, his average minutes was 60. Then sort of seven games later, it's back down to 55. So it, it seems to fluctuate. 76, 60. 60, 55, 60, 48, 60, 55, 80, 66, 45, 50. Uh, mate, just all over the shop. I suppose if it, towards the end, he, he really died down. He had a 27, 38, 47, 45. They, yeah, they were, they were injury-affected, mate. mate. So, yeah, that that um that 27, I believe, is when he, he did his knee. and uh, That's right. That's when he had that line break assist and went off early and... Uh, Yep. Punched the TV, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I, rem- I well, remember now. 
Well, I was I was pretty unhappy too. I had about two trades left at that point, and uh, <laughs> he wasn't one of the guys I could have. I really wanted to be trading out. So um, yeah, I, look, those minutes are up and down, but I'll I'll throw a few counters in there. Before I throw a counter, though, I will say his coach is Hook, and Hook should not be trusted. I can see Hook just doing stupid stuff. I can see him being under immense pressure. I can see Panthers needing to be a top four type of team for him to keep his job and that not happening early. And, you know, that could cause him to play around with a, a few things that he really shouldn't. But having said that, my counter would be last season, Trent Merrin started off the season by his own admission overweight, unfit, and he also started off with some niggling injuries, which he picked up during the start of the season as well because of that. And I think they were managing his minutes because he was just buggered at the start. Um, on top of that, he had... Uh, well, he's no longer batting Merrins, let's put it that way. So he had that all happen at the start of the year. and I would have been sitting on the couch too, brother. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, and I think that that did a lot to him mentally as well. And I think you could see that first third of the season, you could see how unfit he was. You could see his injuries. You could see Hook getting annoyed with him. And you could see him mentally not really being quite there and physically. That sort of a third of the way into the season, though, he built his minutes up. And that's when he was around that 60-minute mark. And he absolutely killed it. He was so good for about five or six weeks there. It was like I felt like all the persistence in waiting the first nine or ten rounds for Merrin actually paid off and I got him. And then, of course, he went down with his knee injury. So I would speculate that that Merrin that we saw in that middle of the season is the real Trent Merrin. And I think that he would have gone on with that had he have not done his knee. And that knee injury really, really cost him. He's now had a full preseason. He's now over Sally Fitzgibbon being out of his life. And Bryce Cartwright is gone. So I will ask you, though, with the minutes, whether you think that the rotations are going to help him or hinder him now that Cartwright's gone with the, you know, the bench makeup. Do you think they're going to put a, a utility on the bench or three forwards, four forwards? What do you think? You're asking the wrong boat, mate. Remember, I've never played this game before. I've got absolutely no idea how. <laughs> coaches, decide, coaches decide they want to use their forward pack rotation. Depends well, on the size of the bloke, the stamina, who they're playing, whether you've got uh, three on the bench or edges or whether it's a uh, utility there. The Penrith boys generally just have four big boppers or four four manoeuvrable blokes there. So I've got no idea, mate. All I can tell you is that that sort of run you were talking about from around uh, 9 to 18 when his minutes sort of picked up above a sort of generally sat around above or around sort of 60 mark. Yeah, he averaged 72 with a couple of tons and 270s. It's, if he can do that, then absolutely worth the investment. But you know, you'd want to you'd want to see A, the makeup of the bench, and B, you know, how, how uh, Hook uses him in that final trial game. Yeah, and I think with the bench, Tyrone Peachy's possibly going to be starting in the centres now with DWZ going down. So... If he moves on into the centres, you would think that he doesn't really want Peter Wallace there without any type of backup. Um, that's my kind of thinking anyway. So if that happens, you could be left with a, a kick out on the bench to play in the middle to help out the starting duo of uh, Tamau and uh, RCG. And then James Fisher-Harris, who could play either or, and then whoever Bryce Cartwright's going to be replaced with. So, yeah, look, I think... I think myself, there's no way he's going to be under 55 minutes. 
And there's no way his performance is going to be as bad as what it was at the start of the year. So even if he plays 55 minutes to me, I see him as being underpriced still by at least a few points. So the last big point I'll leave you with, Billy, is his price is only 518000 So, you know, you're almost saving two hundred grand off the top guys. $170,000 difference between Trent Merrin and Jason Tomololo. Yeah. That's a big difference oh, between yeah. some I'd, of those I'd, guys. I'd, I'd, oh, yeah. I'd, I'd take Merrin over Tom Alano for sure, but no way in hell I'm taking Merrin over you know, my man crushes Crichton and those type of blokes. So you're going to take Angus over him? That's fair enough, I understand. But what about... Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm a hard running. The guys like Jake Turbo, for instance. Like, he's, he's no. 150 grand more than Merrin. Another guy that I'm seeing in there. Yeah, he had a, he had a lot, of, lot of offloads and um, uh, offload support for his brother last year. I think he scored a few tries. I know I probably sound like a bit of a hypocrite saying, I know Crichton scored heaps of tries last year, but I don't care, I'm still getting him. The only difference is Crichton had a few games off the bench to start with, and I know he scored a lot of tries, so it possibly offset, offsets that. My argument there is... I think he can. I think someone like Creighton can continue his run with scoring tries and lift his average. Still, I reckon Jervo will, at the most, maintain it. And um, yeah, I'd, I, I would take Merrin over over Jervo at his price early. But like like Creighton, uh, all I can say is, guys, if you've got a bunch of one or two um, um, super pods out there for or full price forwards or halves that you really want to pay for, just go with your gut. But yeah, a bloke like Marin is absolute value if, if you think he's going to get a minute. So yep. you just got to weigh all that up and make your own decision. And Angus also only has nine fingers, so he should go down a peg for that. Uh, <laughs> and we'll move on to uh, the <laughs> last <laughs> the last point that I'll make about Trent Marin, though, uh, and then we'll be moving on. We'll finish up on Marin by saying that. He's also got a fairly favourable draw, which I do kind of like. So, Eels, Souths, Dogs, Cows isn't that great away, but then he hits the the Eels again and the Gold Coast. None of those guys really have forward packs that I rate too much, aside from maybe the Cows and Souths being a bit stronger. So I don't mind those. Weren't I don't the mind Eels those games. Pretty good defensively last year. They were pretty good defensively, but that was uh, leading in points. If my uh, Stats memory is correct. So I think that they were good defensively in the defensive metrics, but I think that they did get hit around a little bit by um, the more dominant forwards in the competition. Um, and I do think that they conceded some offloads too. But I might be wrong with those. I'm just going off the top of my head. But the draw... Yeah, I think I think when it comes to draw... I know a couple of people don't sign up to this draw thing, and if, if a player is good, a player is good. But I, in my opinion, if, uh, if you play in a team like, you know, Titans or Warriors, halves and outside backs are absolute sort of um, you know absolute yep. gold. Yep. But when you're playing an easy team, I reckon forwards value kind of diminishes a little bit because you got more time for the outside backs and less work needed up the middle. So I reckon a guy like like um, Merrin probably has much more value in you know a hard fought close game. Probably not against you know uh, someone like the Storm, but you know. Um, a Roosters, Eels, Sharks type game, I reckon he probably has, has more value in those. I, I'd, I'd actually be interested to go and have a look at the stats and see how many sort of offloads and, and minutes that a bloke like him gets on the park versus uh, uh, teams ranked between a second and sort of sixth or seventh. Yeah, he's, his offloads are fantastic. Um, and that's the other good thing I love. But it's a good point with the draw. It doesn't, the value of draw does get diminished a little bit if you're a forward. I agree with that for sure. Merrin has never, Merrin's, 
value hasn't been by being the biggest worker, although his work rate's good though. It's um, really been linked to his offloads and he hit some good attack last year in that purple patch, which he can hit. So, But yeah, I, I hear Mera's not for everybody. I haven't seen him a lot, which means he's probably going to be a bit of a pod. Um, he's in my team. I'm probably going to stick with him. Um, I am annoyed that he lost his uh, dual position, I believe, which is um, really, really annoying because that could have made him extra valuable. But all right, we'll move oh, on. Don't worry about that. If he was available in the forwards, I think you would have found him in 50% of the teams with that short up front. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, if he could have, yeah, I mean, starting him at a prop would have been gold. All right, so yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. So let's look at an underperforming gun. Mansource has been making his way into a few teams. I personally haven't really looked at him at all. Um, I've been a little bit standoffish with Mansoor the last couple seasons, partly because I run out of trades quicker than anybody. And um, I know that I'm, I know I'm going to have to trade the guy probably twice in a year. So I've really gone off him the last couple of years because he's been hurt a lot. His averages, before I hand over to you for your fresh take, Billy, He's had a 51 average across 13 games in 2017. Had a better 2016 at a 63 average. But in 2015, he had a, a 54 average. And he is one of those guys that seems to go up and down year on year. Um, a lot of it based on injury. But I think at this point, 2014, 20 games. 2015, 12. 23 games in 2016. 2017, back to 13 games. His pattern is almost undeniable that he's going to get hurt. Maybe this is the right pattern, and this year he plays, you know, 23 games again, and he's averaging 63 again. I just don't want to risk it for 450k. How do you feel about Mansource? I don't want to pay 450k for a winger, but I'm getting replaced. So, that's sort of it. That's sort of so, so you don't want to pay 450k for a winger, but a... yeah, you'll pay 630k or whatever for a partner is. <laughs> Yeah, I got I got stuck by a red ladder last year. I, I everyone, everyone's um, everyone's scared of his court court case and thinks his head won't be there. I just thought you know a bloke with that kind of strike rate playing all, all three buys. I'm just getting on him on him on him early and hope for 150 score. The first, first game I was throwing you know, throwing things at the TV and then I got that 150 and I you know, thought I was king for a day and then. No, completely wiped out. I'm not paying any money for a winger at all unless the bloke's name is Rapana. And or a bloke like Bansaw, I think you probably really want to see the guy starting his hit ups again, coming in and, and seeing how many sort of seeing him take sort of twenty points in H eight an extra th- three or four points in just singles. Watch him maybe do four or three, four tackle busts a game and really, really see him get sort of thirty five points thirty five to forty points without actually doing anything. And then if he, if uh, whoever is inside him decides that they want to pass the ball a little bit, then maybe uh, put those two equations together. You can probably take a part of him. I mean, he's not a bad option at the price, but or uh, kind of a risky one. But yeah, there's, of all the options available, I think he's a half decent shot. But yeah, for me personally, it was six hundred k for a partner. I think I'll uh, I'll uh, stick to someone a little bit cheaper. Yeah, for my second choice. Yeah, I think so too. And I guess, um, I mean, the, the pros and cons with, with Mansour is, well, first of all, like I said, he's he, this is meant to be the year based on his pattern where he does play 20-plus games and he does average 60s. But uh, aside from his little pattern there, I guess one of the things with him is you know that he's going to average 50s 
He's not going to be below 50s in his average. So that's a little bit of a safety net if you do start with him. He's he's not somebody who's going to give you 40s as a winger. And I guess the only other thing is quickly looking at the draw. You know, it's, it's not too bad. Eels, Souths, Dogs, and then we have... You know, that harder game against the Cows that we spoke about with Merrin. But those couple of Eels games and the Titans game and Souths game and Dogs game, those are all games where they could open up some points, the Panthers. So, yeah, look, I don't mind him as a um, as a starting guy, I guess. Yeah, but just got to interrupt you for definitely. Yeah. Sorry, dude. Just going back on that point I made before, if you have outside backs generally... As with the halves, they can be gold when you're playing teams like Titans or New the Warriors when they're sort of not really in, in, in form. But not everyone's going to benefit. I mean, versus the Titans last year, Rapana scored, what, 170 or something like that? Yep. You'd think Croker would have scored you know, 80, 80 or 90 or 100 in goal kicking that game away, wouldn't you? Go back and have a look at his score. Croker scored 30 or 20 or 40 or something like that versus the Titans. And I've got Mansell's stats in front of me right here. He scored at the end of the year 88, 73, and 66 versus North Queensland, St. George, and Canberra. Yeah. The preceding six games scored 34, 28, 31, 24, 39, and 44 versus Tigers, Dogs, Gold Coast, New Zealand, Manly, and Souths. The bottom six teams are the comp, so don't let that easy team run thing for you. Anyone can score shit out on their day, mate. Oh, yeah, look, completely agree. And I actually um, did feel like last year, was a bit of an anomaly year where it was a year where so many guns or semi-guns really didn't score well in the games that they were supposed to. I think a lot of guys got hurt with some captain's choices last year where um, guys were playing the Tigers or some of these other teams where they just didn't perform. So you're absolutely right. Draw for me is a something to take into account. It is not a reason to buy somebody. So... Whilst I say that Josh Mansour isn't too bad, um, I won't be getting him myself. Um, I think that there's better value guys and guys that are probably going to be able to provide me the same for less or who are going to be more guaranteed to provide me better scores. But, you know, he's he's been a fan favourite for a while now. Some of the concerns that I do have, though, is you raised a little bit and touched on his work rate. The last uh, couple of years has dropped down a little bit. His offloads have dropped down. And four or five years ago, Mansour was all about heaps of hit-ups and heaps of offloads for a winger and a fair few tackle breaks. All those stats seem to have dropped down. Um, coming off his knee injury into start of last season um, when he came back, he actually admitted himself that he wasn't confident jumping for the ball and there was a lot of footage of him getting kicks to the corner where he was kind of actually going down instead of up in his body movement and taking it low and sort of falling to the ground as opposed yeah. to going high and jumping. That's a real concern when you're a winger and you're having bombs kicked to you and stuff to score. And I think that there's a couple of times where they just weren't kicking it to his side or he just wasn't getting up for the contest for a lot of that stuff. He might have all that confidence back now, but there was definite drop in his work rate yeah. and how he was his playing. Hit his hit-ups definitely did drop. Mm-hmm. Hit-ups start. In H8s. Oh, sorry. All, all hit-ups. First game, it was like 40 points. 32, 30, 18, and it starts dropping. 16, back up to 28, 18. Yeah, the last sort of last of the four four games, you kind of drop down a little bit. And tackle bust, they, they start off phenomenally, about 10 points a game, 10 points a game, 22. Then he goes down to 0, 2, 0, 4, <laughs> up again, and then tails off again. So hard to read, man. He's man, man, Mansour's, look, he's a very good player. He's a very good coach player. 
but yeah, you'd want to get some confidence in those knees and um, and whoever's playing inside him, mate. He had two tries for the first three quarters of the season, then then finished off with back to back to back and a, a 50 to finish off the year. Yeah, I need him to be 100k cheaper for me to be putting him in at this point, and and he's not. So, I think we're both pretty much on the same page with him. He's a good player, but um, I just don't think that we could uh, we could do it for round one. Let's move on to another guy though, who I who I decided to miss the boat for last year because I chose DCE for his uh, run that he was on instead of young Nathan Cleary, and I got burnt significantly. And there's a few boys that made it known week on week each week that I didn't choose Nathan Cleary. Next season, <laughs> well, I know that you're in the um, didn't choose Nathan Cleary support group that I attend, so I'm sure that you're very uh, sentimental to my plight, but Nathan Cleary is now priced at a lot more than what he has been in the past, um, going in with a new Haas partner in James Maloney. He is somebody who I feel like that I'm silly because I didn't get on him last year and I did look silly. And I'm not going to get on him again this year. And I can just see him making me look silly once again. What do you think? At 620000 he's a very expensive half choice to take a punt on. Sure is. The only thing I'm going to counter with there is his average from the second two-thirds of the season, I think it was, or a bit over, was 80. Yeah. Priced at a 70. That's all. Started, so, yeah, he's... Um, I'm not sure how many of you at home are familiar with um, the NRL Supercoach stat site, but that's why I go off. And from round um, 11, every single score in their bar two has that bright green colour in there, which means awesome. <laughs> so from round 11, 78, 45, 64. I reckon the guy's found his feet. He's found his home. I don't care if Maloney's next to him as long as he's still goal-kicking at uh, 90%. And as long as he hills don't hurt him too much in round one, mate, he's in my team. Yep. Um, all really good points and really good stats. That run that you talk of was amazing. And I, I remember a few lucky super coaches captaining that 169 game who were just ecstatic at how good he was. So I I would really like to have him. I'm, I was pretty set on a JT and MILF combo in the halves and then going cheap after that. I'm coming around to maybe replacing somewhere with Nathan Cleary. But I guess looking at his scores, you know, he averaged 70 last year. Moylan was out in and out of the team and he really wasn't very effective and he wasn't a guy that was dominating the ball too much. I just I'm I am a little concerned and I think some of the um drawback is going to be Maloney. I do think that Maloney's going to help his game in real life. I do think that pairing is going to be fantastic for for the NRL and for Panthers fans. But I just can't see Cleary being able to run the show when he wasn't even just the alpha half last year. Sometimes he was the only half on the field pretty much and he had so much leeway to do what he wanted. I don't, I'm going to make a bold prediction here and say he doesn't average 70. I could easily see him averaging 65-plus still, and that's still going to be pretty good. But I'm a little bit worried about the Maloney thing. I could see myself buying him a few rounds in. I just think that maybe, for me, the safe bet might be to wait and not spend 620000 on him. But, yeah, yeah look. True. I mean, he does, he does. 
yeah, look, he doesn't he doesn't play that first buy. The only thing I'll say there is if if you don't if you don't get him that early, I mean, you can't have it. You can't have everyone. I mean, lots of people are going to be filling up with with JT. But if you don't get him that early, he's. I mean, what's what's the price setting you're going to get if you don't buy him at a seventy average and you buy him at a sixty five average, maybe down the track. I just think that you'd, it's nice to have him as that captain option when he plays Titans or Warriors, whatever it is, what round four or five. He's got I haven't got the draw in front of me. He's got Titans round six, so that could actually work out quite well if he does start off on fire to just plug him in for that round six game before lockout and just have him for that if he's really firing. I mean, the game before he's against the Eels as well. Yeah, look, uh, I'm I'm half swayed by you, Billy, even though I was really set on my halves. I'm um, looking at Nathan Cleary's points for the back half of last year. Jeez, it looks good. Yeah. Um, the, only, the only extra bit of transparency I'll check out there for your home viewers, listeners, sorry, whatever you call it, from that round um, 11, the opposition were Newcastle, Dogs, Canberra, okay, North Queensland, then South, Manly, New Zealand, Gold Coast again, Bulldogs again, Tigers, Cowboys, who you scored well against anyway, Canberra, St George, Manly, so there wasn't exactly a uh, Broncos or Storm or I don't think I said sort of Cronulla or Eels in there, so mm. I mean... My, my my point is that he did score ten points over his average, but maybe the, maybe the opposition lived to him a little. Who knows? I just think he's worthwhile getting in for those potential C or VC type options, especially when you, anyone that can score 160, 170 points, mate. That those are the type of blocks you want for a leg up. And the fact that he plays Gold Coast and New Zealand pretty early, I just want to jump on. Yeah, and I look, I um, I completely understand anybody starting with Nathan Cleary. He's an absolute gun. He's got some great scores there. I might not be able to fit him, but I wish I could. I mean, I might even try to for round one. So he's a really good option for anyone looking at halves, anyone starting with Nathan Cleary. It's a great option. And Freddie came out just the other day and, and said that he wants Cleary to show some form from round one and demand that origin jumper. So he's got that extra motivation this year as well to have that in front of him. So, yeah, I, look, I think he's a great option. So let's let's move on. There was kneecap pierce, mate. <laughs> well, I mean... If Pierce will uh, play number six, and uh, maybe we can have a uh, both of them there, but um, that would sort of be what I would prefer to be honest. But I'm a. Uh, it's not like it's not like it's not like there's a queue of halves in front. Of you. There's two dominoes. There's Pierce and him. If he, that's why I hate watching. Or I don't hate watching. Either, <laughs> as, as, as in his other loss, and it makes it so hard to bloody watch. I mean, the Queensland have got you know Thurston, Milf, Cronk, and then uh, what, what stuff after that. The, the, They've got Munster, Bunt, Morgan. Oh, it's absolutely disgraceful, mate. The guy, the guys just reek of quality right down to the sixth or seventh drop. But for Christ's sake, I'd be happy. I'd even be happy with them. Be there. And you have to, you have to watch those games mate, living in. Mate, uh, en- <laughs> <laughs> you have to watch those games living in enemy territory as well. That's even harder. Um, so well, I moved up here a couple of years ago, but you know that saying: you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> At least I've got stayed good for a beer after work. All right. Well. Nathan Cleary will move on from... This will be our last team for this part, and then everybody can catch us for part two. But I think the other thing with the Panthers side that I'm going to talk about now is going to be the BBP guys. And I've got a couple, and then we're going to be wrapped up. So we've got CHN and Maloney that I've thrown down as the big balls pods for 2018. We'll start off with Maloney 
briefly. I think that he had a bit of a down year at the Sharks, and I think that he's going to be kind of um, hurt myself changing clubs. Um, I don't think that it ended as well as what maybe it seemed. And I think he's going to have a point to prove, and I think he's really going to take a bit of a leadership role with with Cleary there and benefit um, because Chad Townsend's a decent first-grade halfback, but Nathan Cleary's far more talented and going to help Maloney a lot more, I think. And I, I can see Maloney... Going one or two ways. I could see him going absolutely terribly and giving away a million penalties and just Cleary taking on everything and, and leading the show and Maloney just being a veteran presence there. Um, I could also see Maloney be real fired up and start off with a bit of a chip on his shoulder, which he has been known to do at times for different runs. And when he does play like that and he does get his hands on the ball and he's on, he can put up some big scores. So that's why I put him down in this category. Um, I think it's going to take some big balls with all the halves there to actually decide or to start with someone like James Maloney. But, geez, you know, if he can go on one of his stellar runs, then, you know, you could be looking at gold because I don't see his ownership being very high at all. That's because he's not goal-kicking this year. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'll be the big thing. I mean, I, I wonder, has it definitely been confirmed that Cleary's 100% kicking? Mate, if you're going if you're, if you're to punt a guy kicking 90% as a coach, you're a fucking idiot. Seriously. <laughs> Well, uh, the Panthers coach, I believe, is Hook. So I don't know if you've heard of him before, but he's made a few decisions that would fit that category. And that's all I'll say about his uh, goal-kicking prospects. But I am... Um, I've never, never heard of him. What's his TPM? <laughs> 463K. He's, he's among the cheaper halves out of all of them. I won't be going near Maloney myself, though. He's... Got a 52 average last year, a 50 average before that. His golden years were his 66 and 62 before that. I actually think he can be better. I think he's going to be a mid-50s to like maybe 55 to 55 to 60 average in that region, maybe three points better. But I don't think it's going to be worth taking the punt on him. But anyone who thinks that the Penrith Panthers are going to start off and, and rip apart those three or four teams to start off with, you know, it's quite a big ball's play. But don't know the heels. Well, yeah. Nah, mate. Look, put, put it, break it down this way very quickly. There's four spots in the house. Kroger. Surely everyone's going to be on that bloke. If, if lots of people on Teddy, which leaves one full, one other fallback spot, I'm assuming lots are either going to go another gun in Turbo or Ponga or Watson or Ponga and Watson. So you're either going to go two gun halves or three gun halves at the most. Lots are on JT. So that leaves absolute max one or two other spots. Are you really going to spill that? fill that 5-8 spot with Maloney and Watson, or are you going to fill it with, you know, Milford or SJ or Moses and another che- and another cheaping, or or, or um, another, or Moses and um, Maloney type? There's just well, options there to waste time with it. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's always been my argument with the um, the Moses supporters and, and so forth, that um, the other options just, just seem far better. But, you know, we have seen it from Maloney before. I don't think that we. I don't think he's going to be worth it. I'm not going to be starting with him. Um, Chn is a really left field one, but he's a guy who came on as a rookie last season and absolutely tore it up. One of the rookies of the year. He was fantastic, and he is someone who's now going to be starting on that edge still. Um, isn't going to have Cartwright pushing to to maybe try and take his edge spot either. Um, if they decided to try and find a spot for Cartwright, I yeah he's. He scored so many tries last year, though. I just don't think you can go near him. But I will leave you with this, Billy, before I get your fresh take on it. There was a lot of people last year that sold him really early 
that said he's not going to keep this up. And the guy just kept producing. He kept scoring tries. He kept making some really good, smart, good line running that he did that got some line breaks. And he had some big games well after he made a lot of money as a cash cow. So he kind of did keep doing it. And that sort of intrigues me a little bit because I do have a bit of a love affair with um, edge back rowers who can score some points. And I do think that this next season, one of my strategies is going to be targeting a lot of edge back rowers um, because I think that there's a lot of points to be had. In the last couple of years, I was talking to Perso about this. Um, I think the points for edge back rowers has actually gone up. I mean, there's been more attack for them and more use for them than what there was a couple of years ago. So he is very left field, but he did keep going on that run last year. Obviously, I don't think anyone's going to pick him, but could you see him coming out and having that type of run that he did last year and just carrying on that form? Bloody hell, he did last year. 94, 55, 76, 113, 67. That was just to start the season. Um, yeah, that was that was four, five, six, eight, nine rounds. Yeah, interesting to see how he goes in 80-minute games. But yeah, I mean, I'm, honestly, I haven't even... I hadn't even looked at him prior to you mentioning that because I'd completely forgotten about the um, the Cardi departing thing. But if he gets 80 minutes on the do you reckon he get 80 minutes on the edge? Or I really don't know with Hook. I'm interested to see the rotation. I think that it's a possibility. He he very much could get 80 minutes on the edge, and he averaged 72 minutes a game last year. So on his PPM, you know, he might be you know six extra points, which brings him to a 65. Oh, let me just um, punch his numbers in. All games over 60 minutes on the edge because Cardi's not going to come in and take it. Yeah, uh, It's pretty much every single game apart from one where he played 46 minutes. So, how many games? So, played 20, ga- 20 games last year. Only one of them was less than 60. Oh, sorry. Two of them were less than 60 minutes. One was 46 minutes. One was 56. What about his... Four other games were over. What about his 80-minute games? 80-minute games. Well, for starters, his average was 50. His average was 59 in all games over 60 minutes. Games 80. Hold on. I'm not what you would call a touch typist, brother. Hold on. That's okay. Because I do games over 70 minutes. No, no one's going to play 80 all year, mate. Regresses, dude. 58. Look at that. So his PPM didn't really change yeah, too much. Yeah, dropped a little bit. So yeah, so he's um yeah sorry. I mean his PPM actually did change quite a bit. It went down. He's one of those guys that we spoke about earlier with the Kane Evans, where if they do get more minutes, it doesn't necessarily going to mean that yeah. they're going to get a lot more. I mean, yeah, look, hard running, edgy. There were a couple of tries in those earlier games when he when he obviously was trying to prove himself in the twenty one and eighteen and, and seventeen jersey. So he was really um obviously wasn't in the, in the starting in, sorry wasn't named in the starting 17 came out with a bang trying to prove himself and yeah had um yeah had uh, one try, try in the first game try in the third game try in the fourth game and then had another treble three games after that and then no tries for the rest of the year so yeah there's room for improvement for sure he's an option um priced at 60 yeah I'd probably want to go elsewhere but Mm. Definitely, what, what, what did you call it? BBP. Yep, he's he's the definition yeah. of if uh, whoever whoever starts with CHN has the biggest balls I've ever seen because um, it's a very left field one. But you know, I did want to add some of these yeah, sort of guys in because mm-hmm. these guys don't get spoken about, and there's a lot of these yeah, guys true. that go by the wayside. And I tell you what, 
pretty much everybody that starts well, that well, not I shouldn't say pretty much everybody. A lot of guys who start well, and a lot of guys who end up faring really high up in the rankings, do these sneaky little moves where you're not going to pick five or six CHNs, but you are going to take a calculated risk on one or two of them, and you just have to hit on them. And if you can hit on those two guys, like a CHN and someone else similar, and they fire, you're really far ahead of um, some of the other guys, and that's how you can get a really good start. So, you know, everybody talks Ooh, about all about the... this one? Yeah. Plays the Eels first in his one game versus the Eels last year. At base 54, scored a try, um, evade 38 points, negative four, scored... Scored 113 high score for the year. So if you're looking for a start and and you're going off confidence, mate, (laughs) there you go. They are playing at home too. So, yeah, it could provide the start you want, but I'm kind of hoping uh, Cleary goes over for three himself and Eels go over for four. (laughs) That's that's, that's what I'm pitting my hopes on on anyway, mate. Yep. No, that's fair enough. I, I actually really like CHN as a player and I could see him doing well. But I don't think that anybody, any season super coach, could possibly put him in their side at 520k almost. He's a he's a great talking point though, because like I said, these guys don't get spoken about, and I could see him doing one of these under the radar runs because um, he's a great player, and I think that he can do similar to last year. But the, yeah, like you said, you're right. There's complete better options. Um, need to go elsewhere. He's just a fun one just to have a look at as a a bit of a left field um, one who, like you said, when you look at his stats. Geez, he had some really nice stats and he looked good. But I think that we'll probably wrap up just with looking at the rookies for Penrith. I don't actually think that they've got any projected rookies at the moment that are close to rookie price, aside from Kikau, who is um, going to be likely on the bench and also that really valuable this year, dual front row and second row forward. So I'm actually all over Kikau. I am um, 192k. Um, I think that he'll get um, a few more minutes as well. I've got him there, and I think that he could be really solid just as one of those filler guys, like you said, at 192K. And if guys go down in the Penrith pack and he gets a start, you know, he's he can be really good. So I, I'm all over him as much for his um, his price and his uh, dual second row, front row as anything. So is he in your side, Billy? Have you got Mr. Kickow? He was at the start, and then I started dicking around with too many different changes and I'll probably end up right now mate there's just a 164k fill there because I need every cent I can scrape for <laughs> my spine but uh look when it comes to the crunch later I'll be getting the cheapest guy I can find for the biggest PPM and just dumping him in that spot so whoever that ends up being might be him who knows yep just TLT will choose we'll come around and decide that one mate yeah, and a lot of this stuff does come down to Teamless Tuesday as well so um, I'll finish off just by kick our stats read quite nicely he um 22 minutes a game for 22 points a game you'd expect that that has a chance of going up if he went up to that you know 35 40 range which isn't too much of an increase at all 40 40 minutes a game i think that he could probably maintain that one ppm and that means that he's you know 45 percent underpriced to what he could probably do so he could be a good early cash cow for people I mean, he's in my side. But like you said, teamless Tuesday, trials, um, rotations that we can see in that um, first few weeks of trials will, will really help us as well. So was there anyone else in? a lot of... Hold on, just looking at his minutes, though. Mm. 
nine minutes, ten minutes, fourteen, seventeen, nineteen. It's hard to get a gauge on a bloke's PPM when he's only playing ten minutes a game. Although hold on, he he scored fifty one off twenty five minutes, but then he also scored thirty eight points off sixty four minutes. So I wouldn't read too much into his PPM, mate. He's probably more of a yeah. Good luck if you get him. Good luck if you don't. Yeah, and I mean, with his PPM, I'm more looking at it from a um, an eye test point of view. I really like him as a player, and I don't think he's someone like a Kane Evans who is prone to lose interest during a game, prone to make defensive errors and cause penalties and um, make mistakes and that sort of thing. Um, he seems to be a pretty solid player by looking at him. So I guess that's where I sort of counter the PPM stuff of small sample size. He sort of seems like that type of player that um, is a good, solid bench forward that can probably step up with some extra minutes. But, yeah, at the end of the day, he's a, he's one of the cheapies that I think if we don't get the 164K guys through, which the last couple of years have been notorious in the forwards of not getting any decent 164K through, then um, maybe he's an option. Um, the counter as well is obviously the um, old saying that bench forwards are super coach poison, which I've been burnt with before. So you might be right. Maybe he doesn't... Um, he doesn't do a hell of a lot anyway. Yeah, look, it's, it's not going to kill you. As long as you only get one of the blokes, you, you want to make sure you've got dual. Well, it's going to be hard this year, but at least one bloke like Sir Lodge on the bench who can hopefully play at least sort of 40 minutes. If one of your primaries goes down, God forbid you have to play someone like Kikauer and you've got another bum on there. You don't want to choose between playing a, a 10 minute or a sort of a 25 minutes sort of forward. I mean, that, that's, that's where you get burnt with your, your, your Luciano's or Lilias, whatever you call it. They rookies who come on at 164k, and blokes like Bennett or Bellamy bleeding with them to the seven minutes or 12 minute cameos. If you have to start a fellow like that, puts you in a world of pain. Yeah, you don't want to be playing any of these Fords, any Fords that are um, these cheap guys, unless they're starting and guaranteed to be playing big minutes. You really don't want them in your 17. And I think most guys are in the same boat with that. So that's our part one, I think, guys. So thanks, everybody, for, for listening and tuning in. Spread it around with your friends. If anyone wants to uh, download it, you can. And Billy, the Beast Marion, your stats tonight, big fella, were absolutely outstanding. Thanks for coming on. Welcome. <laughs> All right. Cheers, Billy. Cheers.